This episode of the OP Radio Podcast, sponsored by expressvpn.com slash OP. Protect your online activity today with expressvpn.com slash OP. This is 106.7 Uh, Is Chad Dukes there? Yeah, yeah, uh, Chad, we've got him uh, connected on a, a Comrex, so I'll, I'll get you right on with him. All right, thank you, brother. All right, thanks so much for your time. Of course, always. Obi, Chad. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, <laughs> how are you, bud? Great, man. Thanks so much for doing this. No problem. You still have a job in radio. That's awesome. <laughs> what about uh, <laughs> bakers, dozen of people? I think. No, I, I'm not even trying to make fun. It's just it's incredible what has happened to our business. So, congratulations on the longevity. Thank you, brother. That's very kind of you. Yeah. Um, I was going to give a, you a three, two, one count. We can get into it, and then um, I was going to plug the Twitter. The podcast, is there anything else? Uh, just how handsome I am <laughs> and how I'm a legend. Uh, what else? I got a big schlong. Uh, <laughs> I'm a really good fisherman. Uh, well, that's a shoot. That's real. My stay-at-home <laughs> game is amazing with the beard and the long hair. Uh, I got to you know. ask you about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, there's no echo, right? Do we sound good? No, man. We sound great. Excellent. All right. I'll give it three, two, one. <clears throat> three. Two, one. Versus the world, 106.7 The Fan, WJFK here in Washington, D.C. Joined now on the Mattress Warehouse Hotline by one of my favorite broadcasters, a gentleman that I used to share time with on this station. We did evenings. Of course, uh, Mr. Opie Radio himself, at Opie Radio, Mr. Greg Opie Hughes, is with me now. Opie, so much uh, to talk about. Thank you so much for taking the time today. How are you? I'm good. I got to start with why is it Chad Dukes versus the world? Um, well, because I'm a, a talk radio guy like yourself, and because that type of talk radio doesn't exist anymore, I'm doing sports talk radio. Yeah. So I feel very much pigeonholed <laughs> at the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I just wasn't. That's all it is. I was just wondering where it came from because, you know. I, I used to joke about all the homes of rock and roll I worked at over the years in radio, <laughs> or the only station that really rocks, man. <laughs> Everyone else that's playing rock, they don't actually rock as hard as we do. <laughs> okay, whatever, dude. Yeah, we have a segment on Thursday called All Requests Thursday Afternoon, where we claim we're the only sports talk radio show that really rocks. Oh, nice. I like that. Yeah. You've given it away with the whole uh, all request thing, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. All I do is lift concepts from other radio shows. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, for all the people out there, old school, when you would call a radio station and request a song, it was it was crap. No one had the freedom to actually, you know, play requests. That's exactly what happened. I used to work on a, a rock station here doing evenings. Yeah. And we would just wait for these 14-year-olds to call in and request the right Linkin Park yeah. song and tape their voice and then play it and pretend like we were doing them a solid. Yeah. And then you would get the people like, hey, man, when's my song coming up? And you would have to look on the playlist and go, uh, you know, I got a lot of requests coming in, but I'm thinking in another hour, hour and a half, if that's cool with you, 
All right, you better play it, though, man. You'd have to check the list that the music director picked that Monday, four days previously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I always I, thought uh, I always thought radio was stupid. No offense to to you. Well, honestly, the only reason I'm talking to you is because you do do it differently. In yeah. general, I always thought it was just so stupid and dumb, and I'm like, why am I going to waste most of my life doing this? But then, of course... I found a way to do it my my own way, and and thank God I did. Or I would have I would have never went as far in radio as I did. Well, I think that don't you think that window's closed though to like push the envelope the way your shows did? Like I, I feel like it's too regimented now, and anyone that's doing that probably is doing a podcast like what you're doing right now. Hundred percent true. I've been kind of starting to call radio shows, and I was on. Uh, the score in Chicago, and they're doing the same thing. Not the same thing as you, but they're they're doing sports talk because that's one of the formats that is still surviving. And the sure. guy, uh, I forgot his name, but been in the business a long time. He goes, oh, but I just want to thank you for ruining radio for all of us that had to be left behind. And he basically says that me and Anthony were the ones that ruined <laughs> regular radio because after all the stunts we did over the years, they really uh, clamped down on everybody and, and pretty much made sure nobody did anything too crazy or too edgy. Yeah. My, my program director is, is about as open-minded as you can be, but yeah. we wanted my producer to drink, I think it was 12 Blackberry Canada Dries in the course of a four-hour talk show, yeah. and we were told the lawyers would not approve that, and so we weren't allowed to do it. <laughs> so I immediately, of course, said it was ONA's fault. <laughs> okay, good. No, that one goes back to the water drinking contest. We for a wee. Uh, yeah, the we for a wee. You remember yeah. this poor girl? Yeah. I guess they had to drink water every hour or something like that. And the first person that went to the bathroom lost or whatever, and she kept her urine in and and uh, tragically died over this thing. Can you imagine being that radio show? No, I remember you guys though trying to do cherry darts like in. Um cleveland shortly after that and just getting <laughs> massacred because everyone was so terrified to do anything yeah but you can't die from doing cherry darts like you could die from holding in <laughs> fluids cherry darts nope. uh i got i got explained for my podcast if you're gonna edit it out of your your show that's fine but we would get these girls to come in and uh are you even allowed to say naked on regular radio anymore yeah go ahead say whatever you want we okay can all right it. so these girls would come in and get completely naked, and then they would bend all the way over, and then we would throw cherries at uh, their stuff, let's just say. You don't die from that, but it, it, but it is. Unless your aim is really good. <laughs> yeah, but it's quite humiliating <laughs> for the participants. <laughs> but it was right after that we for a wee, so I remember you guys getting held up for it. Yeah, but we wouldn't listen. But that's what I, I wish I told the guys in Chicago. They're like, thanks for ruining it for the rest of us. And I wanted to say to those guys, but we took chances that no one else was, was taking. So I, I think somewhere out there in regular radio or podcasting or, or what have you is, you know, the opportunity to take the chances that no one else is, is taking. You hope so. I mean, I hope it's still something that there's a market for out there. Um, I got to say, you have a lot of, you weren't a sports guy, but you have a lot of salient sports ideas. And I think maybe it's because you come from outside of a genre that's just reading statistics back and doing traditional sports talk radio. Yeah. But your, your tweet earlier today about the 82-game MLB season, I couldn't agree more that I think casual fans 
will be able to follow the sport. Yeah. The games will mean more, and it'll be more palatable for the casual fan. I think that makes a lot of sense. I gave up on baseball. I couldn't even tell you. It has to be close to 20 years. I started going to Phillies games again because my in-laws are from down there, and they're big sports fans. So I do go to a couple games every year. But uh, baseball lost me a long time ago because everything got quicker and faster, and uh, and people's attention spans are all in their phones, and if you're not hitting them with them, hitting them, excuse me, with something really quickly, they're moving on to some other content. And I always said that uh, baseball should cut their season in half because then every game would be incredibly important. You'd be on the edge of your seat for every game, and I think the same is true with the NBA. Could you imagine if it was a forty-game season? That's why the NCAA is so uh, so much fun to watch because everything is on the line in one game. And if you did that with the NBA, where you knocked it down to a quick 40, let's say 50 game season, could you imagine? Because even a lot of the NBA players admit that they kind of don't go full speed for a lot of the games during the season because they got to save themselves for the playoffs. Oh, sure. And they've they've cooked up that load management excuse where it's like, oh, we have this built in thing where it's medically cleared. And I think if you do what you're talking about and take some of those games away, well, then you take that excuse away. Of course. Oh, I hate that. And some of these players, when they're coming back from an injury, they're only supposed to play 20 minutes. And they're, they're, they're like Zion Williams this, this past season. Remember when he first came back and they're like, he was lights out in the game. And they said, well, he can't play anymore because we're only allowed to play him for 12 minutes or whatever it was. The guys that I came up with, for the most part, they, they as soon as they came back from an injury, they just went balls out. Yeah. If you believe that, then I, I don't think there should be drafts. Like, I think if there's a guy you mentioned, Zion, he's ready to play basketball professionally probably when he's 17. And yes. Like, I just feel like he should be able to do that. If there's a company that wants to sign him for his services, why does he have to go to college? Like, if you're a, a football player, there's guys at 19 that can play because they're physically just yeah. specimens. Yeah. I, I'd do away with a draft and all that. I completely agree with you, Chad. I This is what I hate about that is the fact they're like, well, these kids need to get their college degrees. They don't care what happens to these kids after they leave college. The The reason why they're trying to hold all these young athletes back from uh, entering the pros because they make so much money, especially in college football and college basketball. It, it they don't want they don't want these guys skipping, you know, the college programs and going right to the NBA. They just make too much money yeah. off them. That's the real reason. At least at least if they admitted that, I'd be like, "Oh, okay, at least at least you're being honest about it." But to not pay these guys when you know how much money they're bringing in for the colleges, it's it's completely insane. Opie, we, the um, they're going to be able to do the UFC fight happen this past Saturday. No fans. It yeah. was fine. Yeah. They're going to be able to play sports, comedy. You worked with so many comedians and had so many comedians come to your show and have guys kind of rise to superstardom after being big parts of your shows. Yeah, that's not going to work without audiences. Like, how how does stand up comedy? Do you think? kind of move forward because it's going to have to operate completely different than even professional sports or even music. They're all losing their minds too. You notice because the mind of a comic, these guys in general, I'm not going to mention names, but a lot of these guys don't really have a life uh, that is outside trying to get stage time every night. And now that they're with their true selves hanging out in their homes, they don't know what to do with themselves. And they're trying the comedy online, but you're right. Without the audience and that instant feedback, 
Uh, it's really tough to watch in general. You know the deal. You're a radio guy, so we're used to talking into a microphone and assuming that so many people are listening to us, but you don't get hoping. that. You don't, yeah, hoping, but you don't get that instant feedback uh, by seeing someone laughing or reacting to you. You're just hoping that what you're saying on, on your radio show is is interesting for somebody. So we're kind of trained at doing it that way, but the comics, they're just not. They're not, and it's so funny. Twitter is such a horrible, awful place. It's so negative, but that's the one thing that it actually helps with for me is I, I'll be sitting here thinking I'm killing it. I'm doing the show by myself, so yeah. you have no idea. Yeah. Like, thank God you'll get one tweet where someone said that line or that joke was funny. Like, oh, thank God somebody actually appreciates what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we did back in the day, we came up with a concept called Instant Feedback, which is sort of yeah. s- similar to Twitter if you think about it. And we were one of the first radio shows doing it where we had this program where we were getting feedback as we were doing a radio show. Now, you say that in 2020, most people listening to this are like, what, what's the big deal? But they don't understand. Before that, if you hated a guy on the radio, you had, a, you had to find the address of the radio station and actually take the time to write a letter, go to the post office and mail it. And uh, somewhere around 98 or 99, me and Anthony came up with this this concept. And I, I, I went to one of the computer nerds at NEW and I said, this is what we want to do. And we want to be able to play off it. And um, it kind of changed changed the game for us back in the day. Well, also because, well, first of all, I was listening to you in 97 when they were running tapes of your New York show here on weekends. Right. On JFK before you were getting ready to take over afternoons. Yeah. You guys are talking about instant feedback. Yeah. The reason why it was so revolutionary is people are scared to call. I mean, there's a lot of people that will never think of picking up a phone and calling a radio station, but they will fire off like a text message. So you guys were getting responses from people that normally would never interact with a radio show. Of course. And you find out that there are, were so many funny people out there. I had to give the guys credit that were coming. Right. And writing really funny stuff on the instant feedback. And, and they would get off on that, hearing their names on the radio after one of the funny lines they wrote for the Opie and Anthony show. It was fun, man. It was. Um, I got to ask you about Vic and Carl uh, both passing away the way they did. I yeah. just shot you at the end, but I didn't want to. You know, you were getting deluged. Um, Please I heard how much fun uh, you I, had with those guys. Yeah. And like, it was. You could you, clearly you had chemistry. Clearly, you guys enjoyed each other's company. I don't want to, you know, dig at a wound, but take me through your thought process when those guys are both kind of taken away from us way too early, um, almost back to back. It was just an unbelievable set of circumstances. Yeah, I think we all deal with death. Not think I, I do know, but when you go through it, you feel like you're the only person that actually feels this way or goes through something like that. Um, right. They. I mean, I don't. I don't even know where to begin because it's no secret that the O and A show is really was really really successful, and in a lot of ways continues to be very very successful because people uh, search out our stuff online every single day, and and I'm proud of what I accomplished with Anthony. But the fact remains that we just simply didn't get along through a lot of that. Um, but we had incredible chemistry and, uh, and we had a hell of a run and I was searching and trying to reinvent myself after that because I was still a young guy when the Opie and Anthony show ended and I run into this guy, Carl, who I met through Guy Fieri from the Food Network and 
We had instant chemistry and we became instant friends, which was even more important to me. Uh, the story goes, Guy Fieri came in whenever he was in New York City and would do our radio show. And Carl was with him as kind of an assistant is how I saw it. I didn't even know Carl was a, a really good chef in his own in his own right at the time. And Guy Fieri, really funny on the radio and a, a lot of fun to, to be with. And then Carl would just fire a line or two out every once in a while. And I, I would look like, who is this guy? This guy is as funny as most of the comics that I was having on the radio show back then. And then uh, fast forward, Guy Fieri would come through SiriusXM and he, he would always try to stop in, but he didn't have as much time to spend with us. But Carl was always with him. So I would, I would call Carl into the studio and he would go, oh, Guy's going to kill me. I'm like, don't worry about it. Guy's fine. And, and Carl would do 20 or 30 minutes and just crush every single time he was on the radio. And you fast forward, we became really, really good friends uh, besides the chemistry. And then the same thing with Vic. Vic was this guy that um, all the older comics, all the well-established comics all respected Vic. But for some reason, he kind of fell through the cracks, Vic Kenley. He was just as funny as, as, as anyone that was ever on my radio shows over the years. And another guy came in one day. I don't know. I don't remember the day I met Vic. And I said this online after he passed. He was just one of these guys that came into my life and i feel like i knew him my entire life you do you have people like that in your life you, sure yeah absolutely uh, so i couldn't tell you the the day i met him because i just felt like he was always there and the same thing man just chemistry and it was easy and i was reinventing myself after the ona show but more importantly i found the love of radio again because somewhere in there it kind of went away uh i'm not blaming anthony or anybody else i think I think it has a lot to do with uh, being so successful, the stress and the pressure of keeping that whole thing going, I, I think plays a, a huge part in that. Um, and I didn't love radio as much as I, I did when I first started so many years ago. And those two guys just got me to love the business again. And more importantly, we hung out all the time. We were, we were calling each other all the time. And to lose those guys within a seven month period, I, I, I still can't believe it. I just cannot yeah. believe it. I have really, really, really tough days. Um, and, uh, and Vic and Carl were roommates because after Carl's divorce, he was living in the creepy cabin where I started my podcast. <laughs> and then he got an opportunity to finally come back to cooking in a big way and, and have his own restaurant. So when he was moving back to New York city, he needed a place to stay and I offered up uh, a room in my my place, and he's like, "Ah, oh, man, I don't know if we should be mixing me with your family." <laughs> Although my family loved Carl, they absolutely loved him. Uh, but Vic's like, "You could stay with me," but Vic had this policy that you could only stay with him like ninety days. But at the end of Carl's life, he was pretty much Vic Henley's roommate, and only moved out. Uh, I don't know, maybe a month, maybe two months before he died. And then fast forward a few months after that, then Vic dies. Just it's just crazy. Yeah, it gives you perspective, and it's, it's what's nuts about it is, I mean, you, you know, got people in comedy and entertainment, they just trash everybody, and every, there's no. I've never heard anybody say a bad word about either one of those dudes. And yeah. it's not like they were, you know, corny family oriented guys. I mean, they had some edge to them, and yeah, just beloved. Both of those guys beloved in the industry. Yeah, Vic Kenley never had a, a bad word to say about anyone. 
I mean, he would try to be funny and stuff, but, uh, you know, we talked hundreds and hundreds of hours, and, and our phone calls weren't about trashing anybody whatsoever. And the same with Carl, which is interesting because if you enter the ONA world, everyone's trying to take sides and this and that, and they yeah. were able to kind of kind of avoid the landmines. They were just very, very special people. I'm, 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 I, I was lucky to have them in my life. I just wish I had a bunch more years, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is um, at Opie Radio. Follow him on Twitter, the Opie Radio podcast, of course. iTunes, you can get it anywhere you find lovely podcasts. Um, and I got to say, Opie, I say this every time you come on, but w- when I first was exposed to you, I doubt you remember, somebody sent a tape of Big O and Dukes into yeah. Opie and Anthony when you guys were really into crushing other radio shows. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. You were very nice, and you were always been very complimentary when you didn't need to be and clearly were in a spot where it wouldn't have hurt you if you weren't. And I've always appreciated um, that you did that for me throughout your career. So I always appreciate when you make time like this as well. Oh, no, of course. I mean, but that's that's a credit to you guys. You guys knew what you were doing. You know, you weren't hacks. You weren't just copying every other radio show out there. You were trying to make your own your own thing. Oh, were you copying other radio shows? Well, we ripped. I mean, we ripped the junkies off, who you're familiar with. Ripped you off. We ripped on a mic off. Also, I just lived in terror every September that we'd show up on October. I mean, I just uh, was on pins and needles for 30 straight days. Uh, that was an amazing bit. I do miss doing that. <laughs> I really do. Hey, how are you doing with this whole coronavirus thing? How's how's everybody in Washington? I miss going down there. Yeah, you should come do a show down here, man. I think you'd have a lot of fun. Um, it's okay. It's so political, and everyone's so angry about politics that you can't have civil discourse anymore. So the second this happened, you know, there are political tribes on either side of it. So it's not longer about the virus anymore. It's about, you know, who you're voting for. So that part of it is tough. Yeah. But um, radio stations doing well. Our management's really working hard with us. So things could be way worse. It's unbelievable that they made the coronavirus political. I've been saying that for months. Can we at least agree with on one thing? Why does this have to be political? And now, if you're wearing a face mask in public, now you're going to get me uh, uh, going political here. Now they start looking at you like you're a libtard or a snowflake because you're wearing a mask. Because <laughs> that basically is the sign that you're actually a lefty, I guess, for some of these people. I don't need a mask. Yeah. I just got back from New York City um, only a few hours ago. I went yesterday. Every once in a while, I go to get my mail and uh, water my wife's plants. And every once in a while, there's... You know, one of my kids needs something, so I go in really quickly. And I got to tell you, uh, New York City is downright scary and creepy. Yeah. I went at 5 or 6 o'clock yesterday. I was in the Times Square area, and I was outside Sirius XM uh, where I used to work. That area and Fox News is right there. And and usually sure. around 6 o'clock, it is packed wall-to-wall with people. Me and my son went in, and I, I just had the run of the place. There was barely any cars on the road, 6 o'clock on a, on a Monday, and uh, no people on the sidewalk. The ones that were on the sidewalk, very few were wearing the masks. And what was so creepy was all the businesses that not only were closed, but the lights were out. Yeah. And then I went to my building. I, I live in a, a pretty big building. It's about 50 stories high. And once again, one of the workers, Sean, really good guy, I go, there's no one in this building, huh? He goes, nobody. And then a, a worker before him basically told me that 90% of the people that live in my building are gone and not coming back anytime soon. 
That's weird. It's got to be even more surreal in a place like New York. You know, I live in suburbia, so not seeing people is like whatever. You know, maybe there's a parade in town, but up there, yeah, just some of the imagery coming out of there on social media is terrifying. It's unbelievable. And then we left really early this morning when usually everybody's out walking their dogs first thing in the morning, and it's a beautiful spring day. We saw one person with a dog. Just, I. It's just so surreal. I never thought anything would beat nine eleven. I was in New York City during the 9-11 thing, and I thought that would be the thing that I would talk about into old age or whatever. But uh, this coronavirus pandemic blows 9-11 away in many ways, right? It does. It's, uh, it's something that's still evolving, too, which is crazy. You know, we don't even know the extent of it. Yeah. Um, I got to wrap it up because I'm still on stupid broadcast radio. <laughs> oh, I appreciate the time so much. You filled a whole half of it. You're chewing quarter hours for me, brother. <laughs> Can you tell I haven't talked to anyone in a while? I'm just babbling because I knew. Ten... Let's do it again real soon, man. I'd love to have you back on. I knew six or seven minutes ago you were trying to get me off the phone, but I'm like, I, I no, need to, no, I need no. to do radio with somebody. No, really. You want to do a podcast? We could do. We could go for three hours. That's fine with me. Right on, Chad. No, for real. Thanks for asking me to do the show today. I really, really appreciate Dude, it. Always my pleasure. At OP Radio, and of course, check out the OP Radio podcast. The great Greg OP Hughes. Great to have him back on WJFK. All right. That was awesome, man. Thanks so much. If you don't mind, I'm going to use that. I, I just started a radio podcast called Radio Follow. I'd love to use it for that, too, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. When's your show start? Uh, one minute. Oh, that's why you uh, – okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. I really appreciate this. All right. Have a good show, all right? You, thanks, man. Talk uh, soon. Oh, you want to say you, too. Oh, I heard it. <laughs> I heard it. Stop it. <laughs> all right, man. That was fun. I was a babbling idiot. Just babble, 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 babble. I think I missed doing radio. Now what? Just sitting here in a room, in a house, by myself. Should I go fishing? Should I help homeschool the kids? I think got that, I think. I should just make believe I'm still talking to someone down here. It's nice. Peace and quiet. You're still listening to this? Why are you still listening to this? There's no reason to listen to this anymore. We did it. I got a few more stories left in me here. But first, I want to talk about expressvpn.com slash OP. Being stuck at home these days, you probably don't think much about internet privacy on your own home network. Fire up incognito mode on your browser and no one can see what you're doing, right? Wrong. Even in incognito mode, your online activity can still be traced. Even if you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN makes sure your ISP can't see what sites you visit. Instead, your internet connection is rerouted through ExpressVPN's secure servers. Each ExpressVPN server has an IP address that's shared among thousands of users. That means everything you do is anonymized and can't be traced back to you. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data with best-in-class encryption, so your information is always protected. Use the internet with confidence from your computer, tablet, or smartphone. ExpressVPN has you covered on every device. Simply tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is the fastest and most trusted VPN on the market. It's rated number one by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and countless more. So protect your online activity today with the VPN that I trust to secure my privacy. Visit my special link at 
expressvpn.com slash OP, and you can get an extra three months free right now on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash OP, expressvpn.com slash OP to learn more. When we used to go down to Washington, when we first signed with XM, and they said, look, you're New Yorkers, we understand, we don't need you to move here, but we want you to come down once every two months or so do some shows from our facility and just, you know, be part of what we're doing down here. And I used to love taking that train down there to Washington. We would hang for two or three days, do radio shows, meet celebrities that were coming through their facility. And I remember one time they had us in a, a little boutique type hotel and they would come real early in the morning. We were doing morning. So I think pickup was like five in the morning and we would be so tired because now we're in Washington, so you feel almost like you're on vacation. So there's dinners to go to and there's bars to hang out at after dinner because everyone down there wants to hang out with us. And we got our crew and they want to hang out. And I remember one morning they picked us all up in a van and they were driving us to uh, XM. And all of a sudden we saw a commotion to our right and it was still pitch dark. And we look and there's a shop and there's two or three police cars, and the the officers are behind their doors that it, they opened up, and they got their guns drawn, and they got spotlights on the front of this store. So obviously, there was a burglary, and they, they weren't sure if the person was still in there. So they're trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden, the girl that was driving us stopped the car, and we're no more than 50 feet away from this commotion. And we all start screaming at her, like, just keep driving. What are you, crazy? And obviously, we all thought it was cool and wanted to check it out. But we also weren't stupid to just hang out there while they were trying to figure out what was going on with this store. That story I wanted to tell Chad. And then the other one I wanted to tell, which is me and Jim Norton had the opportunity to watch Robert Plant. Robert Plant had his... <laughs> I've told this story, but I love telling it. So Robert Plant had a new band and a new thing he was doing, and he was going to do it at XM that day in Washington. And uh, we were lucky enough to watch them rehearse before they did it for a bunch of fans, I guess, that won a contest or whatever, and they were going to broadcast it on XM. So there's Robert Plant. Me and Jimmy walk in, and we look at the people, like his handlers. You sure this is okay? Because it was just me and Jimmy. And they said, yeah, man, no problem. Anyway, so me and Jimmy walk in, and they have two seats, and we sit down. And long story short, they start practicing their new music, and Robert Plant's still doing the hip thing and the gyrations and just moving very sexually as he's singing these new songs with this new band that I forgot about so many years ago. And me and, me and Jimmy are looking at each other so uncomfortable because Robert Plant's dick is pretty much three to five feet away from us as he's gyrating. Uh, from his perspective, he, he was just practicing and rehearsing and didn't give a fuck that these two assholes were watching him. He was just thinking how he wanted to do the performance for the crowd when he did it later that day. But I'll never forget that we got to watch Robert Plant perform and him in his stupid gyrating hips. And then, of course, I was lucky enough to get a picture with Robert Plant. That was Jim Norton's uh, doing, by the way, because I felt a little weird. And Jimmy was all about getting the celebrity photos. 
And he went right in and got the, his picture with Robert Plant. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't want to bother him. He's like, oh, God, come here. And, and just pulls me uh, to Robert Plant. And we took the picture in the hallway as I think he was exiting the building to go do something else before he came back for the performance. And that picture, if I could find it, I got to find it. Uh, that's the famous picture where Robert Plant's head is so fucking big. He has a giant pumpkin head. And it doesn't look real. It looks like it's like forced perspective or something. Like Robert Plant was close to the camera, to the camera. And I'm here to tell you, nope. That's just how big his fucking head is. So I was going to tell that story to Chad. But he had to go. He had to go do regular radio. And now I'm just sitting here. Oh, I've been doing uh, Facebook Live and, and talking to you guys. And it seemed like a lot of people really enjoyed me talking about my caddy days when I was a caddy, the only other job I had besides doing the radio thing. And they said they want more caddy stories. So there's two quick ones. I started as a caddy when I was 12 and puberty hit. And I used to get uh, boners as I, <laughs> as I was walking around the golf course caddying you guys understand maybe the ladies don't understand but when you're first going through puberty you would just get boners all the time and the and the hard ones that were just achy and uncomfortable you didn't need the blue chew bluechew.com promo code opie to try it for free that's a free spot for you bitches but anyway when you're going through that yeah boners all the time incredibly uncomfortable incredibly achy incredibly hard <laughs> and i had to learn how to to do my job as a caddy walking down the fairway carrying two giant heavy bags and making sure that I, my boner was covered up you'd be caddying for older ladies and stuff because they had nothing else going on with their lives so they would take up golf at 60 years old or whatever. And some of them were like pushing 70 and you're walking down the fairway has nothing to do with them. I mean, you would get one if the wind blew and you would be walking, just trying to hide your, your boner. And of course you're wearing a t-shirt and short. So it wasn't the easiest thing to do. Well, I couldn't tell Chad that story, I guess. I wanted to tell you that story because you asked for more caddy stories. And then finally, there was this twosome that would get a cart at the Huntington Crescent Club. And both these guys, I wish I remember their names because their names were even funny. Uh, but they always played golf together. They were really old. They were l at least 80 years old, if not older. And they always took a cart and they always played really slow. And if you were a caddy behind them, it was just a drag. So I remember we were coming up the sixth hole, a little par four. And the second half of the hole, it, it was a, an incline. And the fairway down the middle inclined up to the green. And then on the sides was dramatic hills. So it was almost like a scoop hole, okay? And everyone knew on the sixth hole, if, you're, if your ball went to the right or the left up in the hill area off the fairway, they basically said, don't ever drive your cart up these hills because it was really, really dangerous. Well, these guys were senile. They were in their 80s. They played together all the time, which we now know as being uh, 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 a gay. <laughs> they had to be. But back then, you just didn't know or question any of this crap. 
But anyway, I think they were two old queens. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying. To have a little perspective on this stuff, looking back, you go, oh, now it all makes sense. So anyway, one of the guys, his second shot, it's way up uh, to the right on the hill before the green. And we're behind them in my, with my loop waiting for these guys to get on the green so we could hit our shots, whatever, or my golfers. And they decide to just drive their cart up this hill. And now they're parallel to the, the fairway, which is flat, but they're way up on the hill. Wouldn't you know, before they could get out of the cart, this thing s- starts a rolling and tumbling back toward the fairway with the two over 80-year-old guys in it and golf clubs and balls and hats and drinks and cigars and whatever else you could think of just being thrown all over the place as this cart rolls over and over and over again and comes to rest on the fairway. We're behind them laughing our asses off and also saying holy shit at the same time. And we run up there, my foursome, to try to help these guys. These guys get up like nothing happened, put their whole golf cart back together. They're picking up their clubs and and balls and hats and their the, what was left of the cigars, and they're getting their garbage from their drinks. They look at us like, what's wrong with you guys? Like it was a normal thing that just happened, and they continue to play golf and take their next swing at the golf ball. We're like, Oh my God, (laughs) what the F, man? And then, of course, uh, I'm talking about the sixth hole at the Huntington Crescent Club. That reminds me of the seventh hole, and I'll end with this. We had to uh, caddy during crazy-ass weather. You know, mostly, mostly rain, but I also caddied during snowstorms because they would try to keep the golf course open almost all year long, even though not many guys played in the wintertime, but... Um, when it was raining and thundering and lightning, we would still caddy for these guys because they would be playing for money or they didn't want to go home to their wives. The story goes, I, I didn't see this, but I saw the aftermath and I know it happened. There was a big tree that the caddies would uh, go to while the, while the golfers went to the tee box and they would put their bags down there and hang out. And the tree was big enough where if you needed to take a leak, you would, no one was going to see you. And some of the guys would, you know, take a, take a couple uh, hits off a joint or some of the alcoholic caddies, they would grab a beer that they had hidden in the golf bag and they would drink a little bit while these guys would tee off. So Joe was caddying for this foursome and it was a terrible, terrible, storm with lightning and everything and these guys just didn't want to go in man they're like nah i think we'll be all right long story short a lightning bolt hits this giant tree that joe was underneath waiting for his guys to hit their drives split the tree in half in half and nothing happened to joe nothing he came back all soaking wet trying to tell us all this story and we're like yeah yeah whatever man because we've all seen lightning strikes on a golf course i've never really seen it hit a tree or anything like that but you definitely in the distance will hit see it hit a fairway or whatever and he's like no man you don't understand so we all jumped on golf carts the storm passed it was one of those fast moving you know storms and we go out to the seventh hole and sure enough the tree that we have all stood under hundreds of times 
during our caddy careers was split right in half from a lightning strike. Just missing Joe. There you have it. I was expecting like a reaction, but I'm, I'm here by myself. So it's a little weird. Hope you enjoyed that story. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I want to say hi to the, the Facebook group. If you want to join the Facebook group, there's a link in the description of this episode. You guys, please, please stay safe and stop making the coronavirus political. Just make sure you keep yourself and your family safe. All right. Boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-